uh, engaged. Congrats. Yeah, yeah, finally. <laughs> Only five kids later, but not even five. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, because we're blended, right? So he has three kids and I have one only. His two younger ones are the only ones that live with us. So it's like, we have the three girls and then so, but we don't actually have any kids together. So none of them are actually ours together. And we've been together for almost three years. So, but it's like, he's, he's been through the birthing process with you. Oh, for sure. For sure. Twice. This will be the third birth that we've gone through. So it's kind of like, funny. <laughs> it is, it is really interesting to think how like, you don't actually have any that are together, but you have, you've, you've been through the experience. So essentially you do have some together kind of. Yeah. And we've gone through that whole like process. We just have never done like the newborn thing together, which you know what? I'm totally okay. Not doing actually. Um, you know, and it's funny. Last time we spoke, you said um, something that resonated so much. Cause it's like, when you get home from the hospital, after you give, you go into labor and you don't have to deal with a newborn, it's like, because you know that little period that week or two weeks after you break your body in half it's the worst like it's and I obviously I don't ever want to tell women that like prepare to be smashed in pieces but it's like to go home and not have a baby I'm sure is like healing was it was way better right like I had a c-section last time and like it was not like it was the recovery was still tough because it's still like surgery, but yeah. like I could lay in bed for like eight hours and no one was bugging me. <laughs> and like they brought me food and like it was I just walked around in a day for all day. Like <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> the beauty of um surrogacy. Yeah, really. Okay, so since this is kind of like our first time, even though we okay, so we'll take it kind of as our first time. Um so basic stuff, you're on your fifth surrogate. No, so, uh, fifth baby, fourth, fourth surrogate. Fourth surrogate journey. So my one was a miscarriage. Someone got all like, like prissy on my Instagram saying I was deceiving people because I said I was on my fourth journey. And they're like, well, you haven't had four babies. You've only had two and now you're pregnant with a third. I was like, well, yeah, but I still was like four months pregnant. Like if someone like lost a baby at 36 weeks, would you be like, oh, doesn't count. Right, like people are so, so weird. This, this will be the third birth. Okay, and that yeah. inc that doesn't in does that include your daughter or no? No, no, that's just surrogacy. So this is my fifth pregnancy. It'll be my fourth delivery. Got it. Um, yeah. So I feel like there are so many things that I want to talk about because I now I have a very good idea of everything. <laughs> is there anything? Um, that you really want to touch on that we should just nail right off the bat? Um, honestly, not anything specific that I can think about. Like I'm like, I'll just take your lead. Like just feel free to ask questions and I'll answer. And I I'm pretty good at like jumping in. If there's like, Oh, I'll talk about this. I'll kind of okay. use a lot. Yeah. So the one thing I definitely want to talk about this time that we didn't really touch on last time is social media because mm -hmm. you know, you are raising a lot of awareness. You're advocating for this surrogate for, surrogates in general and even more than that you are um so what how many months are you along now you're due in what march is it uh, april april so okay. i'm 27 weeks on sunday okay so um so you, like almost seven months ish yeah i'm horrible i'm when i was pregnant and even now i'm always like eight and a half months or i'm horrible yeah. with the weeks thing <laughs> um maybe on the next go around i'll be better with the weeks yeah. <laughs> um, so 
you basically, your life revolves around this. Like you do it because you're in Canada and it is, which is mind blowing. You don't get paid to do this, which you told me last time, which I was just like, holy, because I'm sure people always say, oh, well, you got to do it for the money where you don't. Yeah. And I can explain about that too. Cause a lot of people are like, Oh, you must be so great doing it for free. And I was like, okay, let's clarify. It's not like for free. Like all my, a lot of my expenses I are covered. Like I can submit receipts. I'm reimbursed. Like first time surrogates are typically reimbursed up to $2,000 a month for 10 months. So it's $20,000 for the pregnancy. But those are things like, you know, kilometers, childcare, lost wages, extra groceries, special diet, supplements, maternity clothes, all that kind of stuff. Right. So it's pregnancy expenses, and so it's like, that's all coming back to me, but I'm certainly not like putting in a pool. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you are advocating to make it a little bit easier um, because yeah. obviously I don't know how, I don't know anything about it in the U.S. So I need to find someone here who can, you know, because I'm sure as I grow and as you and your, um, your following grows there, it's different everywhere you go, whether it's state by state or country by country. Um, but I am very curious because I'm sure, you know, some of the laws in the U.S., yeah. But, um, it's just, it just blows my mind because it, it's insane. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yep. <laughs> um, so you, um, I had a point to that. I'm like, this morning, um, you, oh, you have to keep track of all your expenses mm-hmm. and that you're advocating to make it a little bit easier. So it's not just here's my receipt, here's this receipt. And because I'm sure at this point, it's pro- is it pretty tedious or? And I can like talk about this too. So like yeah. right now paid surrogacy is criminalized. So the goal is to decriminalize paid surrogacy so that a surrogate can be reasonably compensated. Similar to basically our reimbursement cap, maybe a little bit more because what the reimbursements doesn't account for is like, you know, the, the time it takes away from your family and the year or year and a half or two years out of your life that you dedicate to this, the travel restrictions, the, you know, like the, what you put your body through the hormones, like all that kind of stuff. And so yes, reimbursing like actual expenses is one thing, but I think one thing that that completely takes away is, is kind of that, like everything else it does too. Right. And the, the effects on your life is kind of, so it seems like and I think that it's the same in the U.S. You know, the government is run by all these old white men and they have no idea what's going on. Um, so yeah. they just assume that, you know, you're having sex and then you are having someone's baby and then you give it to them. And clearly that's not how it works. We have legislation that like explains surrogacy. So like I have a full contract and everything that outlines that I am not, it's not my egg. Uh, you know, it wasn't um, obviously created in a natural conception it was done via IVF all that kind of stuff so surrogacy is legal in Canada a lot of people get that um that paid surrogacy is criminalized they think it's oh it's illegal no no no. surrogacy is legal you just can't be paid but you're right the problem is is that like so let's say I buy oh like I need gravel because I'm really nauseous well is some person gonna look at that expense and be like but did she really need it like maybe it's not a pregnancy expense. Did she use every single pill? Like maybe like, cause then that's not a full, she didn't use all of it. Did, did her partner maybe use two of those gravel pills? They weren't all for her. Like it's very, very tedious. And not that the problem again with that is like all these rules are in place, but there's no one actually mandating it. 
there's not anybody checking there's not any like there's no kind of guiding body for it at all there's like no regulation to actually enforce it essentially no like with the exception of like the lawyers that put the contract together being like here's what you can and cannot be reimbursed for right it's really at the like honor system and discretion of the intended parents um you know like my my intended mom she's like okay like i don't care if you need gravel like obviously go get gravel (laughs) you know stuff like that but um you know, it really, it really just like depends on everybody's situation. So it's kind of like, it's just sticky, right? It would be so much easier if they could just be like, okay, instead of reimbursing you up to 25,000 or whatever, we'll just pay you 30 and it comes in three installments through the pregnancy. You don't have to worry about receipts. You don't have to track kilometers. You just use that for what you need it. And it's, it's basically very similar to what's happening now. It's just not having to submit every receipt track every single kilometer mm-hmm. like all that kind of stuff you know even if they just gave you like a credit card and said okay this is your limp like then they can mm-hmm. check it if they want sticky because then it's not in your name and then it can be it's like then it could like uh, there's all really careful with um like if it borders into like financial coercion that's like one of the reasons that like there's a lot of um uh and we can talk about this too once yeah. we get going like, there's a lot of um guidelines to be a surrogate and like restrictions and one of them is that you have to be financially stable and the reason for that is because now not so much in Canada because um we get things like baby bonus and things like that that everybody gets kind of what is a baby bonus um like from work you're saying no where are you from are you I'm in New York okay so okay so we have like um it's called like Basically, if you make up to like $80,000, the government gives you every money for ha- like every month for having kids and you get it per kid and it's anywhere from like a couple hundred to like six or $700 a month. Really? And it's income. Yeah. And like, there's other programs and stuff like that, but it's not necessary. It's not like welfare. It's not like, it's just kind of government programs that everybody's pretty much eligible for. Right. That's a little bit different than in the States. So like where you have like food stamps, we don't get anything unless you're poor, basically. Yeah. yeah. So with that, so that's the reason the financially stable part comes in. So if you have a surrogate in the States, for example, or even in Canada, that's, that's on like strict government assistance, like income, unemployment, all that kind of stuff. If they're a surrogate and then also receiving all that, it can get kind of sticky because it can be considered financial coercion on the part of the intended parents. And it can actually affect them getting parentage of their baby wow. so dates it's really important so you can't be on state uh like funding you welfare. can't be on camps welfare anything like that because if if the intended parents ever like got to the end of it and they're like oh we paid her you know thirty thousand dollars to have this baby and then anyone like kind of investigated or stepped in they could be like oh well that's considered like financial coercion not to mention if they were getting paid and then also receiving government funding they can lose their funding they can mm. have to pay so it's really, really important that like surrogates are like financially stable. And that's why, because like it can affect the parents actually getting parentage of their baby. So this, it's very like complicated. I don't think people realize that surrogacy is as complicated as it is yeah. and so much goes into it. It's like, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's so, I mean, I guess it makes sense kind of, but um, yeah, that's crazy because so basically I mean, I guess what I, where I was going with that or what I was thinking was if, um, I, my, I, 
Do you get, do you have pregnancy brain? Oh yeah. yeah. So I'm. Open the cupboard. Like it's. I'm there. I'm like postpartum, like what, eight months now? And I still have it. And my husband always makes fun of me. And he's like, and he'll like say it to our daughter who obviously doesn't even understand. He's like, oh, mom's all scatterbrained again. I'm like, baby, you don't understand. Like, I just, I can't, like, I don't get it. You work the same way. Like, it's a real thing. (laughs) I wonder how long it lasts for. I don't know. I have a five year old and it's still happening. So, um, okay. So basically what would you suggest or what do you think is some sort of direction or how are you advocating to make it so the government is, you know, going in the right direction when it comes to this, because it is a real thing. And there is such a misconception and all these weird pre notions on what exactly surrogacy is and how it's, you know, disgusting or whatever, you know, I've seen some crazy comments that I know we've talked about before. Um, and obviously going on social media, you put yourself out there, but you're putting yourself out there for the greater cause. You're not doing it to be ripped down. You're just educating people. Yeah. I would say I've been pretty lucky that I haven't had too many like negative things on Instagram. The only time that I'll see like a lot of negative stuff is that like if um, a big page or an article has been written about me or something like that, and then that gets published, sometimes the comments under that. But I think a lot of it, I mean, even when people kind of say those comments, I think I'm really good at kind of approaching that in more of an educational way. I simply think that a lot of people just are really uneducated about surrogacy and they don't understand what it means or how it works. And so it creates all these kind of like feelings and emotions in them that like, like just aren't realistic. Right. So I think a lot of it comes from a place of uneducation. So I think my biggest goal with my Instagram page is just to kind of show like, you know, cause like when I started it, like I used to have a Facebook group like years ago and that's, and I would share photos and stuff. So that way, like people could, my fr- family and friends, there was like 200 people in there that could like follow along. Right. And I, but then it was hard to kind of like find things and it kept switching. Like it was difficult to navigate. So I switched to Instagram last year and, um, it just kind of really, really took off. And then I started doing interviews and I started doing kind of, um, kind of some more like social media. I had a couple posts that went kind of viral. So it really got out there. And then now like a lot of people follow it and I'm like, well, you know what, if I have this platform, I'm going to try to use it the best I can. Of course I'm reflecting my personality and like my kind of journey through this and like all that kind of stuff. But I do try to, you know, use it as well to show like, this is why you need lawyers. This is why this is important. And this is how this works. And I've explained about the receipts. I've talked about how IVF transfers work and contracts and why you need one and all that kind of stuff. Cause I think it's important for people to kind of be able to be like, Oh, like this is how it works. And I think it's twofold. So not only is it helpful for, well, maybe threefold. Not only is it helpful for the general public to kind of learn more about surrogacy, because like the only thing that people know about surrogacy is like that Kim Kardashian had a surrogate. (laughs) Or like, you know what I mean? And so it's like this stigma that like only rich people have surrogates which is not the case. Like there's perfectly normal people that have mm-hmm. surrogates and have babies through surrogacy. And you would never know in your mom group, which baby was born via surrogacy, you know, and chances are there's probably at least one. 
Um, you know, so it's, it's helpful for kind of the general public to learn. I think it's helpful for people researching who want to be surrogates. Cause I think a lot of people are like, Oh, I'm going to be a surrogate. And they don't realize that like, there's a lot that goes into it. Like you, you know, there's a lot, um, and to kind of be prepared in that way. And then I think it's also helpful for like intended parents or future intended parents that maybe are on their own infertility journey and may have to look into surrogacy. And I think seeing an account like mine or like others that kind of share openly like that is really helpful for intended parents to be like, okay, like this is from her perspective, this is how surrogacy works. Like she's normal. Like she's, just, you know, cause a lot of people are like, they have an idea of the type of people that become surrogates. And I'm not really sure where that kind of comes from. I know that there's movies like baby mama where, um, you know, she becomes a surrogate because she needs the money and she's kind of, you know, and she's like scamming them. And I think genuinely a lot of people think that that's what surrogacy is. And then of course you get like those unregulated stories that show up in the media or the lifetime movies about surrogates that keep the baby or, you know, like try to like yeah. sue the parents and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I cannot stand these stories because they all happen because they didn't do things legally. They didn't have a contract. They did like at home insemination without a contract, didn't use a fertility clinic. Like mm-hmm. they were not in a legal state, like all this type of stuff, right? Like regulated legal surrogacy is, is perfectly legal. And there's no way a surrogate would ever be able to take your baby. So when you hear those stories, I think people get really like riled up about it because they're like oh it's so dangerous to have a surrogate you like they might try to steal your baby and i'm like i don't want your baby <laughs> like no offense but like i really don't want your baby i feel like that's your famous line <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> well and yeah. you know i think that the other part of that is like um they just and you have we obviously discussed this and i'm gonna stop saying that because we've discussed <laughs> a lot of this that you have your degree and you're finishing up your degree in um, a field that, and you've taken classes on it. So it makes you understand that your body's a vessel and you're literally carrying someone else's baby and you're just going to basically deliver it to them. And it's, I think that it's understanding that mentality um, that people don't understand because once you have a baby that's yours, you think, well, I couldn't imagine giving it up. And of course, because it's yours, but when it's not yours and you go into it with that mentality. Yeah, it's completely different. Like people say, how can you feel a baby move? And I was like, well, when, when I feel a baby move, I'm like, oh, cool. Like, and then I text the mom and like, he's moving like so cool. Right. It's not about me. It's not like, you know, and like, I have no desire to take this baby home. Like if, if I was pregnant with my own baby right now, that would be very different. Right. It'd be, I'd be planning a nursery. I'd be planning, you know, the birth and like how our family would be changing, bringing another baby. But that's like nothing that's Mm -hmm. happening right now. You know, it's just, I'm just, just carrying it. And I've carried for them before. Right. Like I, I love this family. Um, their other son is three and a half and like, he's going to be a big brother and like, it's just an exciting time for them. So it's like being able to kind of like see friends of yours, like have their children. And like, you know, four years ago when I met them and they, you know, were trying to have kids and didn't have any, and now they have two, you know, or one and one on the way. Right. So it's, it's like, I don't know. It's like fulfilling to be like, yeah, like I was a part of that. And like, I always tell like, cause like, I think a lot of people get all like stressed out about surrogates thinking they're like superheroes. And I, I like personally have a big problem with like the surrogacy pictures where she's like, where it's like the little kid being like, my mom, like my mom grows families. What's your superpower? 
And I'm like, first of all, I feel like that's very insensitive to people that can't have children. Like biologically, a baby is not a superpower, but it's something that I'm able to do. And it's something that she wasn't able to do. So together we're able to kind of figure it out and, and, and do it. Right. And, and let her have her baby. Right. Um, kind of no matter where it grows, it's still going back to her, you know? Yeah, it is. It's, um, it's nice that you look at it that way because I think that a lot of times people do tend to be insensitive on one side or the other. They don't see both sides, but because you've been on both sides and you know, both sides and your, um, I think, I guess what you plan to do eventually for your, um, your career, it's helpful to know, understand and know, and you've experienced it firsthand. So it only makes sense that you can, you know, relate and not, you know, so it's good. I mean, I think it's just beyond, uh, it's incredible that you're putting it out there and you are really showing and telling and explaining real life and the reality of what this is. Um, do you know anyone else who like, do you have like surrogate friends? Does that like, or is that weird or? So so I'm not with an agency, but with, um, with a lot of the agencies that I know the Canadian agencies, they usually have like their little like community and stuff like that. And they'll do get togethers. And I think that's really nice because it kind of gives people like other surrogates that are kind of going through the same thing. Um, and that's kind of cool. I do like, I do know other surrogates and I've met a ton through Instagram and things like that. So, um, yeah, like it is like this little community, right. And people kind of, we all kind of are going through the same thing together. And so I think that's kind of interesting. And I think it's really nice to have like a support system like that if you need it. And um, especially for first time surrogates, that's why I think like going with an agency for a first time surrogate is really helpful because not only are they going to kind of guide you through the whole thing, but they're also going to provide that like support system that you might need, you know? Well, and I think that most women that go into it, they're probably not looking to have a career in it or maybe they are, I don't know, but you, you know, much more in depth because yes, yeah. Like, and I started out very like great. I feel like we need to start like recording this. So I am. Nice. I am. I've been. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like, um, <laughs> I'm like, are we even going? Um, yeah, I am. <laughs> okay, question. I totally forgot. <laughs> um, oh my, me and my damn scatterbrain. If you, I don't know what, you know, to be like with your career, you know, very in depth how it works with having to, so you didn't have an agency. So I did at the very beginning. So when I first signed up with surrogacy, I was with an agency and that's how I found my first two sets of intended parents or three sets of intended parents. Um, And then this one, we're not with an agency because it's a sibling journey. We didn't really, we use the same lawyers. We kind of, we kind of are doing everything the same. So we didn't have to have that middleman, but agencies are really helpful because they're going to kind of walk surrogates through the process and intended parents. Right. So, and if you're a first timer and you don't really know a lot, it's kind of helpful to have that. So for me, like I've obviously, like when I first started I knew nothing about surrogacy like I signed up very quickly and I did not do as much research as I would advise other people to do (laughs) um simply because I just didn't I didn't know 
I had to, right? So I think that's why, like, I tell people now, like, do research, like, follow people. And I say, like, don't even, don't necessarily even look at surrogacy, but follow people that are documenting their infertility journeys and get the intended parent's perspective. Because I think when you go into surrogacy, really understanding why somebody needs you to help complete their family, I think your empathy goes up a lot. And it becomes more of, like, a collaborative thing, not like, I'm a surrogate and I'm so great. It's like this person needs someone like me or they wouldn't be able to have their baby. And so I'm really happy I can help in in a small way to be that for them, you know? And I think it's like, when you see, like I follow a lot of women and families and stuff like that on Instagram that are going through their own infertility journey and they may or may not need to go through surrogacy and stuff. So I think it's like, it's kind of good to, I don't know, get their perspective and see everything they've been through. And as well, like, especially with my work, like, cause I'm going to go into, like, I, I graduate in April um, and I'll be a registered social worker, but I, yeah, it's, it's been a long, a long time. And I have, a, a, my first degree was in um, like a childhood development type studies, but then also um, grief and death and dying and trauma and loss. So I kind of have that kind of grief and bereavement and trauma background as well. So I really want to kind of help counsel and help guide intended parents and surrogates through um, infertility, through loss, through grief, all that kind of stuff. And then with my knowledge, with everything that I've kind of gone through and everything that I've really learned, um, you know, I think it's kind of, I want to be like a good resource for people, you know what I mean? To be able to be like, this is what it's like, and this is how it works and and know that I'm someone who's really knowledgeable about it. And I've done a lot of my, um, my papers in class and um, like a lot of my like final projects and things like that on infertility type stuff like something I'm working on right now um, with my like placement that I'm doing is a big resource binder and basically a step-by-step guide for counseling people with postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety Um, which is like, so I'm, I'm, you know, kind of creating this entire resource binder for people to go into counseling and what they need to know and the types of therapy and the theories you would use and how you would use them and all that kind of stuff. So that's something I'm working on now. I've done papers on um, egg donations and um, egg donor conceived children and outcomes and things like that. And it's like, there's not a lot of studies either. Right. So like, there's like, you know, when I'm looking for information, I'm like digging to try to find information on assisted reproduction And I'm like, considering the amount of people that are using it, like, it just like, it just seems crazy to me that there's not more information. So twofold, like I want to be able to advance my education. I'm, I want to go on to get my master's, which is kind of my next step. And then I'll be able to register as a psychotherapist. And then that's kind of where I really want, I want to have my own private practice. I want to do specialized fertility counseling, um, kind of things like that. I want to work with donors, surrogates, intended parents, um, yeah, like it's like Amazing. it's. <laughs> I don't know exactly the direction it'll go, but I know like generally where it'll be. You well, know? and it's so. cool because you're you're taking classes, you're in school, you're working on your degree, but you're doing all the things that basically will help you and assist you once you finish. Because I feel like when most people are in school, you know, they just write and do aimless shit. Like they do aimless papers, and they're just like, oh, I just need to pass. Like I just need a grade. I just and it's like when when you're you're living it fully like your life is fully submerged in this and it's so cool to see and to watch your journey like you know even if you just you know scroll 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 way back in your instagram you can see 
everything you've been through because yes, you document it, but yes, you're also so open about it. And you just, it's like, it's constant and it's so awesome to just, I mean, obviously I'm not a part of it, but it feels like the viewers are because we can see everything and you are very transparent and you, you share the good, the bad, the ugly, everything. Yeah. That's kind of my goal. Right. Is like, I know that like, there's a lot of, and like, you know, so far this journey has been like very good. It's been very like relatively low complicated, except for like crazy headaches and like, you know, like stuff like that. And I've kind of talked a little bit about Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, but you know, I have gone through a miscarriage as a surrogate and I have talked pretty openly about that and what that was like. I've done kind of in-depth podcasts with what a birth is like Mm -hmm. for surrogacy. And I think it's just really good for people to see from a surrogate's perspective, because that's not one that's normally talked about because surrogacy is pretty like hush hush so a lot of times when you hear about surrogacy it's from the point of view of someone that used a surrogate and the surrogate is kind of anonymous right mm-hmm. like you know all these celebrities and stuff that use surrogates well no one ever talks to the surrogate yeah, why i wonder you know? and i think it's like maybe it's too because like those are the stories that are like in the media and things like that and and maybe they're a little bit more private with that kind of stuff because i think celebrities probably in general are a little bit more private about things like that um but i was like you know what like I have the platform. So if I'm, if I'm, if I have it, I might as well use it to, to help, yeah. you know, and like I answer a lot of questions <laughs> on my like inbox and things like that. And it just like, you know, people being like, I might need a surrogate. Like, can you just tell me a little bit about it? And when, what, you know, and so kind of just helping to kind of guide people. And that's really what I want to do is my career. And that's what I'm hoping to do kind of when I graduate in April is do more um, like actual fertility counseling. So people that are, hey, like they can book sessions with me. They can book Zoom calls. They can book that to go over like, here's where we are in our journey. Here's where we live. And then, then I kind of am familiar with the Canadian law. I'm familiar with kind of how to go about it, what agencies there are, um, how they need to kind of the steps they need to take the costs that are associated with that. So I kind of do want to turn that more like basic advice giving into no, I'm actually qualified, you know, I'm qualified to actually give advice about this now. So um, yeah, that's kind of my goal after I graduate is to be able to actually provide info sessions and things like that for people to kind of learn and understand and and get a direction of where they want to go. Well, and who could possibly be more qualified than someone who has lived through it multiple times? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So, but that, I guess that kind of brings me back to, to advocate for this and to make the laws chain, like, you know, I don't want to say easier, but to make it so it's a little more understandable how and what what do what are people supposed to like is there you know you see these um petitions going around people sign you got to get x amount of signatures or whatever what is it that you you do or you could do or would do or theoretically to make it um legal legal yeah so there are a lot of like lobbying efforts of course everything with covid right now has kind of stopped a lot of stuff right because they're on the back burner right now as far as legislation goes so a couple years ago I actually was part of like a lobbying effort in Ottawa where we went and talked to different like MPs and stuff like that and um, kind of 
made the case for decriminalizing surrogacy. Um, and there is some places that like are continuing to do that and stuff. And it's really just about getting like the awareness out there, advocating, you know, writing letters to your MP. Like if you're someone that's using a surrogate or need a surrogate, or you are a surrogate writing to your MPs being like, Hey, like, like this needs to change. Like, you know, there's a decent percentage of people in the world that need assisted reproduction. Why is it not covered by mm -hmm. healthcare? Why is it excluded from extended health care? And like why it should not cost us $80,000 to have a baby just because my uterus doesn't work or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like infertility is one of those medical conditions that's just like excluded. Like if you need insulin, you can go get insulin. And if you need a heart transplant, you can get a heart transplant. And if you need like any other medical assistance, like that's there. But for some reason, infertility is like, oh, too bad like I wonder why though like people there there is a real thing about being sterile there is a real thing about being you know not being able to have kids or only having miscarriages or not being able to get pregnant like it's a real issue yeah. that family or women and men and whatever face so why is it and it's it's everywhere it's not like I know women who you know they've done IVF you know six times eight times and it's like each round is super expensive. Even if you do IUI, it's still expensive. Yeah. Like obviously much more affordable than IVF, but why doesn't it, no insurance covers it. It's not like, why, yeah. like why? Yeah. And well, I think it's, it's really comes down to kind of, it's just not mainstream and people don't talk about it. And I think people are starting to because do people don't talk about it. That's why I guess. Yeah. And like people like, you know, all these people in legislation tend to be men <laughs> that don't deal with this kind of stuff. They're not dealing with recurrent miscarriages. They're not dealing with hormone issues. They're not dealing with low lining issues. Like, like those just aren't things that they're having to deal with. Mm -hmm. So it, it's not even on the radar. So unless we put it on the radar, like actively and aggressively, constantly put it on the radar it's not going to be there and i think that's where like the advocacy piece comes in right and being able to be like look this is a real thing like this needs to change like this needs to be part of healthcare um because reproductive health is healthcare you know so i think that's kind of an important thing to kind of just keep you just keep like nagging at them long enough they've got to change the laws at some point well and i think that when you explain it like if someone needs insulin you get it if someone needs you know these other things if you break your arm you get a cast like it's it's an actual thing it's a real issue and i think that when you explain it that way it's like oh because if like for example like when people don't go through it how are they supposed to know and exactly what you said most of these men because the reality is that when you're a woman, you're the one who's going through it. Like my husband doesn't know anything about what's going on with my body or he's like, you know, he's like, let's have sex. I'm like, babe, no, I'm, I'm fertile right now. Like, I'm not, I don't want to get pregnant right now. Like, no. And I was like, you know what? Let me put the app on your phone that I use to track him. He's like, I don't, I don't want. And I'm like, then, then don't be crazy when I say no, because I see what's going on. And I know that this app knows what's happening. So no. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that it's like, you know, until they actually, and the reality is, is, I mean, it goes back to sex education and really, you know, or infertility education or, you know, your whole life, you're trying to prevent getting pregnant. And then one day you're like, oh, let's get pregnant. And it doesn't work that way. So it's like, it goes way, way, way further, or it should theoretically 
start much earlier and much sooner. Um, I agree. So I don't really know. It's almost like, where do you start? Like how it's just this cyclical of was, when can you start teaching kids? Like, I mean, you have girls and it's like, it's a whole thing, even being a stepmom or, you know, it's like, and I, the more that I interview women and I speak with women about this, it's like, there's just so many things that we face that men don't even, they don't even just, so it's like, you know, there's, there are so many things and I feel like the second that we speak up and say like, Hey, like we need a little help or something like this, whether it's our husbands or the lawmakers or, you know, whatever it is. I think that that's when exactly what you're saying, when you're constantly picking and nagging and a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, eventually they'll get the picture. Well, and I think women in general, like are kind of always taught to kind of sweep things under the rug and it's not as bad as it seems. And it's like, when you have issues that only affect women and stuff, it's like, well, yeah, like, but you have to kind of get your voice out there. Right. And Mm -hmm. like, it's, it's tough. Sex education is a, is a big one that I really want to try to like do. And like, I would love to do talks at high schools. I would love to kind of like do speaking and stuff around that because that's one thing that is completely lacking from the entire sex education curriculum. Like completely. If you look at the sex education curriculum, there is nothing besides don't get pregnant. Right. It's not, what if you have PCOS? It's not, what if you have endometriosis? What if you like, don't ovulate? What like, and then there's, first of all, and then not to mention that there's basically zero information for um, like, like homosexual kids or trans kids, like nothing. And so it's like, it's like this very narrow grouping of people that sex education applies to. And then what happens is, is if you have, you know, 50% of the class that that doesn't apply to, they're not listening. Well, and like, when, if, do you know when they started over there? Sex ed? Yeah. Okay. So I, okay. So there was like a few years ago, there was like a reform to the sex education and they started teaching it in like kindergarten and everybody what? freaked out because, okay. So hear me out here. Okay. So they, it's like health sex education but in kindergarten it was talking about like um consent and it was talking about okay. your body okay. is your body and it wasn't here's how to put a condom on a banana yeah. in kindergarten it was consent and okay. it was but everybody freaked out because sex education was starting in kindergarten and why would they name it that it, i mean the, the problem I think just, that was the other issue right it's it was all like marketing this, so they should need oh. to market it to that group so parents don't no. freak out but even like, you know, I, I think like starting in grade four, five and six, you should be talking about those things. Yeah. You should be like children should be able to anatomically name body parts. You know, I know kids that are 10, 11 and 12 that don't know proper names for things. And like the social worker in me or the future social worker in me always goes to like, you know, when we see kids who are abused and stuff like that, like this is why this is so important that they learn this stuff early on, because if they're learning in school that your body is your own and no one is allowed to touch it, but you, unless you say so, unless it's the doctor, unless they're looking like, you know what I mean? And then, and then you have a kid being like, Oh, well that's not happening at home for me. Right. Like it kind of like, if we totally exclude that, then we're like missing opportunities to help kids. Right. That's my whole other like. No, but you're (laughs) absolutely right. And this also is a whole nother thing that's not talked about. Uh, of course like yeah. and it's there's a, lot, there's a lot that's just not talked about and I think 
as kids get older and especially in high school and stuff like that, sex education should be extremely inclusive. Totally. You should be talking about why you still have to use condoms if you're in a same sex relationship. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like it, it should not just be about preventing pregnancy because statistically one in six of them probably aren't going to be able to get pregnant. It's crazy. And you know, so if you, if you have that many kids in a classroom, like you should be teaching like, Hey, like, and then this happens and, and really explaining things to kids, I think would be important, especially in high school, right. When, when yeah. they're getting older and stuff like that, and, and they're, they're understanding more, like talk about how low ovarian reserve affects your body or how low lining would prevent you from getting pregnant. You would be amazed the number of surrogates I know that are still like, oh, but like, can I be a surrogate if my tubes are tied? Well, yeah, because you're not using your eggs and you don't need your tubes. <laughs> and it's, that's the thing, right? There's, not, there's really not a lot of education past don't get pregnant. Here's how to use a condom, use birth control. And the, the whole consensus is about not getting pregnant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, and it's, it's about what if you can't get pregnant? Yeah, no, it's... um. That is, it's really so crazy to think that, and there, there does, there, a lot more light needs to be shut on it because it's not ever. And I guess that only when you get there, right? So you have kids, you're, you know, you're doing surrogate. Like I have a little one. So I'm, this is something I'm constantly thinking about now. Like, well, how are we going to have the, the talk? And even though, you know, she's just a few months old, it's something that I do think about because I see, you know, you look at other parents and you see oh, I like that. Or I, I don't like that. I don't want to do that. I do want to do that. So it makes you really think and question and well, what happens when we get there? So it's definitely something that needs a start. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like I, you know, I, like I, I would definitely be an advocate for uh, making sex education more, way more inclusive, like, yeah. you, you know, I'm someone who believes that access to birth control, it should, it should be very easy. It, it should be very easy to get access to birth control yeah. for teenagers. It should be very easy for them to get access to a health center and things like that. And I think it's better in Canada than some parts of the States for sure. Um, but it's not perfect. Right. And, you know, we can see in other countries that they're like, they're seeing positive rate. Like when you teach sex education, when you teach, um, proper forms of birth control. When you make it available, abortion rates go down, teen pregnancy rates go down, like, like as a whole, they're more educated. Like, I just think there's a lot more we could be doing Yeah. <laughs> in that department, you know, as an aside from all the infertility stuff that I do, I think that's like actually something that's really important. Well, too. what do you think? Um, I guess because this would have to start with the parents, right? Like the parents go to the schools and they say, listen, this is whether it's a public school, a private school, whatever, I'd assume that private schools would be able to make changes a little bit easier and more quickly. Um, what do you, what would you suggest? Because it is something that, I mean, obviously you can start at home and yep. talk about it freely and openly. And, but it, if one kid is missing out or two kids don't, they don't understand, or they're not getting, you know, because in New York or where I am in the city, it's very nanny driven. It's very, you know, the parents are working and the nanny's with the kid for 12 hours or 14 hours. And the nanny's not going to talk to the kid about that. The nanny barely speaks English or like, you know, whatever yeah. it is. So it's a very interesting um, kind of disconnect of 
has to be at school. Like, yeah, I think that's like the hard part, right? Because like as a public school, like, you know, our kids are in public or Catholic. So that's, that's the other thing. We have some kids in Catholic education and they're like, they they just skip over the whole thing. (laughs) Like sex education, who needs that? Um, You know? Yeah, you should. Yeah. (laughs) I think not because, well, you know, and and Catholic schools even more like, don't like there's, don't necessarily believe in IVF (laughs) or support IVF necessarily or assisted reproduction or homosexual relationships or trans relationship. Like, you know what I mean? So it's, it's difficult to kind of make something inclusive when the system is designed to be non-inclusive. Right. Yeah. And I think like the hard part, right. So, you know, I think, but again, like the more people know as a whole and, you know, I'm one tiny, tiny, tiny little piece of this, but everybody who shares and everybody who's open and everybody who, you know, is like, yeah, I'm going through infertility too. And there, and then people know about it. Like, you know, 10 years ago, nobody knew if anybody was, was going through infertility, even still, like you have no idea the people around you that have been struggling with miscarriages and, you know, in the, in the type of stuff that I do, I have a lot of people that message me being like, I just had, I just had my third miscarriage at five weeks. These are people I have known for (laughs) years. I had no clue or people, you know, or, or family members or stuff like that. And it's just like, you would have no idea, like no clue. And like, I just think the more we like talk about it, not saying that everybody needs to talk about it. No. I don't think that, you know, obviously people want to keep certain things private and that's okay too. But I think the people that are comfortable <laughs> like kind of bring those things to light because no one knows it's happening. We know it's happening. We know one in four people have miscarriages or one in four pregnancies and a miscarriage, but no one talks about it. Mm-hmm. And, and there's been a, a good handful of people that I'm close with that I've known that have come to me and be like, I need your opinion on this. Like we've been trying with, because they know that I'm kind of knowledgeable about that. And I'm like, I had no idea. Like, I'm yeah. so sorry. I had no idea that you were going through all of this. And these are, these are people that you work with your neighbors, your people in your kids soccer practice classes you know what I mean like these these are normal everyday people that are going through this and it's way more common than you know way more common there was something that I heard of recently and it made me really realize how undereducated we are as a population as women as you know there's a lacking component that's and it's basically if you have a negative blood type do you know about this where uh, yep I have negative blood type so <laughs> So do you, you have to do that or maybe you don't the program shot or. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't had it yet in this pregnancy. You usually get it right around the, I think at my next appointment. How does it work? Um, Because that I, how is it that like I'm a mom, I didn't even know my blood type until I had her basically because you know, you're in the hospital and they're telling you all the stuff. I think I might've even come across it in the paperwork. I don't think they ever told me, but it's like, how like that's I think is that a basic thing because clearly it's well, something it's that blood types. what's that like it's only if you have a negative blood type um and it's basically to prevent 
um, your body from fighting off the baby. So if the baby has a positive blood type, your body might try to fight it off. Now, typically in pregnancy, if you have early bleeding, you have to get it. Uh, it so in my two pregnancies ago, I had early bleeding at like six and seven weeks. Um, I had like a subchronic hematoma, which is like almost like a blood pocket in the uterus. And when it comes out, it's very scary because there's blood yeah. everywhere and you think it's carrying. Well, that happened at like six and seven weeks. And so I had a lot of bleeding. So I had the Rogam shot quite early. This time I've had no bleeding. So it can wait until closer to the third trimester. But it's basically to prevent um, your negative blood type from fighting off a potential potential positive blood type baby if that makes sense yeah no but I mean I only learned about it maybe a, a month ago from a woman who I was talking to on here also and it's like why <laughs> there's a lot that like you just don't you just, people just don't know like I don't you would think that like and obviously when you become a mom or you know you're going through this you learn a lot like every day it's and you learn something new but yep. it's like there are certain things where Maybe when kids are younger, oh, hey, you're, uh, because how many times have you went, you've given blood, you've had your blood drawn, you've done this, you've done that, and you never know your blood type. I never knew my blood type until I had my kid. So it's like, uh -huh. maybe they should, you know, they should tell you these things. Yeah. Yeah. I knew my blood type when I was in high school, because when I was in high school, once you turn 17, you can go donate blood yeah. and you get out of class if you go donate blood. <laughs> <laughs> So me and my friends would be like, yeah, let's go donate blood. And then I found out I have a rare blood type. So then they're like calling me all the time being like, come and donate. We need your blood. Um, so then I donated like a good couple times and all that kind of stuff. So I found out really early what my blood type was. <laughs> um, so I knew I was negative. I'm AB negative. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So they always call me. They're like, can you come donate? I was like, sorry, I'm pregnant again. I can't. <laughs> um, oh, so when you're pregnant, you can't donate? Or at no, certain because, because your blood volume and stuff like that, like you, you don't want to be like giving so much Extreme. blood, like and stuff like that. So you can't do it while pregnant. Um, and then there was another question that you just made me think of, and I'm not. I think you would know this. When you, not you, but generally speaking, when someone goes to um, essentially check their fertility level, is this a thing? I don't know if it's a thing. But basically, they can tell you the, the age or the potency of your eggs? Uh, I, th I think what you're talking about is an AMH. Tell me. Um, it's that, an AMH is typically mm -hmm. something they to kind of uh, do the level of, like, ovulation or, like, the quality of, of or how many embryos, like, so embryos, how many eggs you would um, ovulate. So I found out that I actually have a very high AMH count. So... I typically ovulate like two eggs, like every single cycle, if not more. Um, I found that out. So they're like, wow, you're really fertile. And I was like, well, good thing I only had one kid then because I guess that doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, they were, they were surprised. Like when I saw a fertility doctor, he's like, I'm surprised you haven't naturally had twins because you ovulate from both sides. Um, like all, like you, you ovulate from both sides. So that's like, you know, how you would get fraternal twins. Right. So, um, and I was like, yeah, I guess, yes, we're just lucky. Um, <laughs> but people that have, and well, and fertility testing, there's a lot that goes into it. Right. It's like, it would be great if you could just go in and get one test to be like, and this is why you can't get pregnant. But there's like 
there's so much because there's hormone levels, there's ovarian issues, there's lining issues, there's uh, like an embryo issue, there could be sperm issues, there's motility issues, like there's so many things. And it takes a long time sometimes to figure that out. And unfortunately, it's a lot of trial and error. And it's, it costs money, you know, you have to go to the fertility clinic, it costs money to get these tests done. It costs, and you have to go in, sometimes you have to go in on like cycle day one or cycle day two, okay, to do some of the testing. Well, if that comes back and they're like, oh, I don't know. Well, then you got to wait till the next cycle so that they can do testing again. Or, you know, you have to come back multiple times in a cycle to figure it out. You're taking time off work. You're doing testing. Sometimes you'll be taking, like, if, if they suspect ovarian issues, you'll be taking medications to help induce like or, like, you know, facilitate ovulation. Um, if it's a lining issue, you'll be taking extra medications to thicken a lining. If it's a miscarriage issue, maybe it's your hormone levels or progesterone. Like it's just, there's error all the time. And I know that that's really frustrating for people. I have family members that are dealing with that right now and it's frustrating. It's, it's the constant unknown. And then you get the, the dreaded, like unexplained infertility. And it's like, you're a doctor. You should be able to explain this to me. You would think. And, you know, a lot of people going through like infertility that it's just, it's just frustrating. And it's just like heartbreaking because you're like, why? Like, why isn't this happening? And yeah. I like, I feel like I've, I feel like I've learned a lot. Like, you know, when I went into surrogacy, I was very like optimistic and very like, oh, surrogate like so great and like I was part of this like community of surrogates and we were all awesome and we went to the retreats and like it was great and I'm like this is so cool and now it's like I'm like okay that was great but like there is a whole side of this that is like not sunshine and rainbows here and I felt very left out of that side initially and it wasn't until I really started like really getting into everything and really learning on my own and really trying to understand that I was like this is hard for these people like I remember when I transferred so like the baby I'm pregnant with now his older brother when I was in the process of getting pregnant with him I remember going for embryo transfer and being all excited and I had like my fancy socks on and like my like you know like good luck t-shirt and all this stuff but I remember my intended mom being sad and like I felt so terrible because she was like oh like you know today's the day I realized that I'm never going to be able to carry my own baby and my heart like shattered because like, oh my God, here I am thinking that I'm like this like superhero who's coming to like save her day. Cause this is like, you know, five years ago when I like really didn't understand what all went into this. And I just felt so bad because I'm like, I, I didn't even think about it that way. Yeah. Like I didn't think about that. And I feel terrible for not understanding that. And I think kind of since then I'm like, I try to be really sensitive to intended parents and sensitive to kind of the journey that they're going through and be a lot more like empathetic because this is hard. And I, I recently did a post actually about like infertility trauma, because that's something that as a counselor that comes up. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's that, you know, the trauma of infertility doesn't go away when you have a baby you know, when you finally get that baby, those feelings don't go away necessarily. You know, like I talk to intended moms, they're like, I, I have a baby now, but every time I see a pregnant person, I want to cry. Yeah. Like, 
and I'm like, yeah, like that's heavy stuff, you know, that this is trauma. And I think people really underestimate what goes into this. And I think initially I was so caught up in the surrogacy is so great. And this is so awesome and stuff. And I'm like, man, like I'm a very small piece to their puzzle here. Like, yeah, but like you're, you're giving them a gift that no one else could give them. Yeah. You know, and, and my intended mom will be like, are you kidding? You're like, the best thing. You're like the only reason we have our baby is because of you. And I'm like, I know, but like what I have done is like nothing compared to the journey you've been through and the journey that all these other intended parents have been through and everything that they're, they continue to go through. And I just like, I just feel like I got so much more empathy for, for these families and stuff, you know, and just, I don't know. It, it just felt different going into it a second and third time because it was less about, being part of this surrogacy sisterhood. And like, it, it was more like these people deserve to have children. And like, it is awful that like, it's, it's so difficult. And like, I want to do whatever I can to help. And I think it just, I had a big, like, kind of, I don't know, reframe for it, you yeah. know, and what it meant to me and what surrogacy meant and why I do it. You know, it's not, it's not, like, you know, it's, it's not to, to I want to just help all these people and do all this. It's like, like, it's so much deeper than that. You know what I mean? It's almost like, I don't even know how to explain it. Like, it's just like, yes. I, I've never been through infertility. I've never had to deal with that, but I've been close to a lot of people who have, I've counseled people who have, mm-hmm. I've had a lot of discussions with people who have and, and become close to them. And I just think like, I want to do my best to really understand and be sensitive to that during this process too. And part of surrogacy is realizing that like, this is hard for them. This is not an easy road, even though you're happy your surrogate's pregnant, like it still brings up a lot of feelings. I'm sure about being able to not do it yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. That's hard. That's hard to do. And as a woman, when you're told your whole life, like, that your whole goal in life is to have children and be a mom and all this stuff. And then you can't, that's a lot of like negative feelings. And like my job as a future counselor is to work with people for that and helping to process this trauma because infertility and dealing with miscarriages and dealing with recurrent loss and, and the, the trauma and the financial struggles and the constant, like, you know, comparing to other people, like, like this is trauma and, I think there needs to be more specialized counselors that are familiar with this process. And I'm very familiar because I've been through it and through kind of my training and my experience and, and talking to women and counseling women during this, like, you know, I think there needs to be more people that are really specialized in this type of specific trauma that comes along with infertility. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's, it's like everything that we talk about, it's just such, I don't want to say basic stuff, but it is like half the population or more than half the population's women, a huge part of those women, the huge percentage have babies and even more than that percentage probably want to have babies. So it's like, it's something, and it just goes back to kind of normalizing it and talking about it and, you know, openly discussing because yeah, the more that we just keep sweeping on under the rug, the more it's just going to be overlooked. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to like counseling women and this type of stuff about that specifically, is it, um, because there's a woman who you, I think that, you know, or also that, um, or I don't know if you do anyhow, she's done, um, IVF, IUI, she's had twins. She just had another one, but her thing was actually the exact opposite of what you're saying is 
So she got pregnant with twins with an IUI and then she had to have a reduction or with triplets. She had to have a reduction. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And I (laughs) love her. And it's crazy because, you know, you don't think about it. And she said to this day, like her and her husband barely spoke about it. And only recently did she actually like confront it head on. And, you know, that's when you really kind of work through things with anything in life, but this, especially because everywhere you go, you see pregnant women and kids and schools and, you know, so it's like something that, how can you really just keep it bottled up? You really have to deal with it because. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like I've, I've talked to a couple people on Instagram because my, my messages are always full. I, I like keep having to go back and like, be like, okay, I need to respond to these hundred messages before the next ones come in, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I try to respond to like all of them, but I do have intended parents and stuff that will like message me and stuff like that. I'd be like, you know, it's, it's, it's really difficult or how do you process this and how do you do that? And I think the problem is that like, I've had intended parents tell me that like they've gone to, or moms who are trying to get pregnant, go to counselors and counselors like just not understanding about infertility. And I was like, man, this is not like, okay, there needs to be specialized fertility counselors and they are out there, but there's not a lot of them. And especially ones that are really knowledgeable about all the different things that go into it. You know, if I have a client that comes in and tells me about, you know, all the medications they're taking, I'm going to know what that means. I'm going to know the acronyms that they're using. I'm going to know what, you know, BFP means. And I'm going to know what DPT means and like all these little infertility acronyms, which is almost like a whole language in itself. I'm going to understand that. And I'm going to be able to kind of identify with that a little bit. So I think that helps even on a very, very surface level, just being educated about infertility and the treatments, the medication process because that saves someone having to come in and explain to you for three sessions that cost $130 an hour where they're at mm-hmm. you know like you know I could an overview and know exactly like I, I'm going to understand all of that yeah. because I just I know that stuff you know I've, I've had people tell me that they've gone to see counselors and you know they're they're really struggling with the fact that they made it like okay so perfect example and this is like something that comes with like loss and things too right so um there was uh, someone that, that messaged me and they had made embryos and they went to thaw the embryos and none of them survived the thaw. So like their three embryos or, or whatever yeah, it was gone. that they had were gone. And she was heartbroken and she went to go see a counselor and the counselor was like, okay, so they were just embryos. Like they were just, they, they weren't like, you, you didn't miscarry. Like it wasn't, and they didn't understand. And I'm like, okay, but to this person in their, That's like, their opportunity, well, how to grieve, right? We can't tell people how to grieve. We can't tell people what is a loss and what isn't a loss. Same like the person who, who went on my, my Instagram and said that my first journey doesn't count as a journey because the baby died. Okay. Well, that's great that you don't count that, but my intended mom sure did. Yeah. And the of needles that I took and the DNC that I had to have and the hemorrhage that happened after and, and the, the heartbreak that happened and the, the, the idea that they, that was their last embryo and they were never trying again and they were now done. That kind of counts actually in my mind. So yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. Like I just can't wrap my head around the people who just <clears throat> don't like they're just, I, maybe they're just not open-minded. May, I don't know. I just, People go through different things. People grieve differently. People, you know, and so it's like, why can't you just be understanding of that? Like, why do you have to put your two cents in and say, oh, well, that doesn't count? Well, okay, maybe it doesn't to you, but it 
who cares what you think? Because it's not That's happening exactly. to you. Why do you have to, you know, say stupid things that just like, I just don't get it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And as as a future counselor, if I have a client, it is not my job to tell my client what they should and should not grieve. It is not my job to tell them that, oh, well, you don't need to grieve an embryo. It was just an embryo. Or you don't need to grieve a, a chemical pregnancy because it was just a chemical. It didn't really count. Well, if it counted to them, it counts. Like, Yeah, <laughs> it's that simple. That's important to kind of like, like, it is not my job as a counselor, a future counselor to tell you what you can and cannot grieve. And, and, you know, we're going to process it and we're going to work through that and we're going to talk about it and we're going to kind of work our way through it. But, you know, some people like, you know, that those embryos were everything to them and to hear that they didn't survive, that could be as devastating as somebody who miscarried at 12 weeks. Yeah. And you don't have the right to tell somebody what is and isn't grief for them, you know? So, and I think that's like a lot of counselors just not understanding infertility. And I've had a couple people message me saying that the counselor that they have seen just doesn't understand that the chemical pregnancy meant something to them. Like, Oh, so you weren't really pregnant. Like, don't, don't say that to somebody who's trying to get pregnant. Like, what, what are you thinking? Like, you know, it it doesn't make sense to me, but honestly, it's, again, it's, it's, infertility is a specialized area and yeah. that's kind of where I found my little niche and where I want to be because I think it's important for people to really understand that like this is this is specialized stuff you need to know a lot about this not only do I have all my training and my schooling in counseling and how to run sessions and different types of theories and you know I work with like a cognitive behavioral therapy base or an interpersonal therapy base and um you know things like that and um, dialectic behavioral therapy and things like that so but infertility is completely different you have to be knowledgeable about it you need to know what you're talking about you need to know what your clients are talking about mm-hmm. when they're discussing infertility and and recognizing that not every infertility journey is the same too so like where someone maybe like you know maybe they don't they're not grieving the chemical pregnancy but they are grieving the fact that you know they can't buy a house now because they're trying to pay for embryo storage like th- those are all things too right it's complicated it's compound and it needs more than just i think a regular counselor and that's really why i want to specialize in fertility specific counseling yeah yeah no it's and you know it's something i mean it goes back to we're just so we generally are so undereducated. Like I know nothing about this, which is why I've been like, okay, ready, ready, ready. Because it is very, it's so interesting. And I think the more that I have been speaking about this openly, the more women have come to me and said, Hey, do you, could you help me? Could you direct me? Could you, because now that I'm obviously, I don't know anything, but I know more than the woman who's going through it because she doesn't even know where, how to ask for help or who to talk to or, so it's a very interesting thing doing this podcast and like really speaking with people in depth and going through their experiences and understanding because it just, it's like, it's one more kind of, I guess, outlet or, you know, resource for people that I know or people to reach out to me and say, Hey, could you direct me to so-and-so? Could you make me, could you have an inter- introduction? And I'm like, yeah, I'm more than happy to. And I think that that's, this is like, you know, our slow steps. It's a slow process. It's us doing our little bit of help, our little bit of good to just share. That's exactly the way I see it, right? It's just like, 
if I can do anything that will help even one person figure out where they're doing this or, or counsel one person or send someone in the right direction, like I think I'm doing the right thing, you know, and being able to kind of advocate with a platform and being able to kind of, um, you know, do podcasts and do lobbying in Ottawa and, and with parliament and stuff like that. And like, I think it's all those little steps that help like, Oh, this is real. This happens for a lot of people. And, and, you know, reassures intended parents that like, Hey, there are great surrogates out here. Surrogacy is a viable option. You don't have to be afraid of it because you don't know about it because I'm here to tell you about it. Mm -hmm. You know, people that want to be surrogates. I, I am very like very clear about on my Instagram when I, you know, when people are messaging me, it's like, there are very clear guidelines to be a surrogate for a reason. They're there for a reason. They should be followed. Um, even if not every fertility clinic follows them, the, the basic, like the, the big rules and stuff like that, that kind of govern surrogacy should stand. Um, you know, like they, like for instance, um, it's like the general guidelines is that a surrogate should have no more than five previous births mm -hmm. and no more than three previous C-sections. So, um, you know, are there wonderful women that have had nine children and have great births and everything's great and they want to be a surrogate? Sure. Should they? Probably not. Um, of course, there are clinics that um, do kind of make exceptions for stuff like that. Um, I've seen exceptions made for higher BMIs, for a lot of kids, for more C-sections. Um, it's more lenient in Canada, um, which I don't necessarily think is probably the best thing. Um, I think a lot of, this is another thing. I feel like I'm like stacked against me a little bit being a Canadian surrogate because a lot of American surrogates don't like Canadian surrogates. What? <laughs> because, um, so we can't be paid. So a lot oh, of, so people go there. You can do it cross borders essentially or not really? Yeah. And you can. What I mean by that is that I think a lot of American surrogates get the idea that Canadian surrogates feel like we're better than them because we're doing it for free, um, which is not the case. I think you're a good person and you're doing a good thing, whether you're getting paid 40000 or whether you're being reimbursed 20000 um, I don't really see a difference there, right? Um, but as well, like, you know, there are uh, less restrictions some of the clinics in Canada will allow a lot more things that U.S. clinics won't allow and will sometimes maybe go against those general guidelines. Mm. Um, and so I think a lot of like American surrogates get very like defensive of that being like, no, like the guidelines are in place for a reason because they're there to minimize risk to you and the baby and the intended parents and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, um, yeah. So, but I think like, I really want to be like, no, no, no. Like, like just because they'll allow you to have nine births doesn't mean that you should. And if, if someone came into my inbox and is like, I've had eight children and I really want to be a surrogate, I would be like, no, like you shouldn't. Yeah. Even though maybe if they went to an agency or a, or a clinic here, maybe they'd be like, sure. Okay. I would say, I don't think that's in your best interest. Same with um, being done having your own kids. Right. That's like, and that is a, it's technically not a requirement for surrogacy. It's a really strong recommendation. One that I think is really important because secondary infertility is a thing. And uh, IVF has increased risk for the placenta, increased risk for bleeding, increased risk for um, complications and things like that. And I personally know of surrogates who have lost their uterus being a surrogate due to bleeding and due to, you know, have had to have emergency hysterectomies. 
I know surrogates who have had ectopic pregnancies and had to have their tubes removed or their ovary removed or something happened. So it's very, very important to be done with your family. Whereas there are some clinics or some agencies or intended parents that are like, oh, well, yeah, if you want to have your own kids after, that's fine. You know, but if a surrogate came into my inbox and was like, hey, like, I really want to have a few more kids. I was thinking of doing a surrogacy first because I want a bigger age gap between my kids. And then in like four years, having another baby, I would advise them to wait, Uh, you know, because and then I'll explain the risks and explain why this is important. And, you know, because I think that's something that maybe isn't done as much being like, this is why this rule is important. And this is why you should follow it just because somebody is willing to bend the rules or somebody is willing Mm -hmm. to kind of around this doesn't mean it's probably the best option for you and I think my goal is to kind of inform and be like this is the information you need to know if you choose to go against that then there's nothing really I can do obviously um but that's the recommendation this is why it's in place this is why it's important there are risks by not following this you know that kind of stuff right so I try to I think the American guidelines are much better. <laughs> and those are the ones that I kind of say, like if people come to me, they're like, this is, these are the general guidelines. This is what you should be following. Um, you know, I, I just think there's, there needs to be a little bit more regulation. And I think a lot of people in the surrogacy community, it's a small community and people get very defensive of it as they should. Right. Like, I think this is something that's important to a lot of people and keeping it, legal and keeping it safe and keeping it regulated is really, really important. It's really important to me. And I like cringe every time I see those like horrible stories in the media about, you know, the surrogate that kept the baby or like all this stuff. And people are like, oh, this is why surrogacy is so bad. I was like, no, this is why illegal, unregulated surrogacy without a contract is bad. Right. (laughs) You know, like there's reasons that there's rules in place and you need lawyers and you need contracts, you need pre-birth orders. Well, not not in every single state it does that way, but like, you know, there needs to be proper things in place here. You can't just, it's it's just not as simple as maybe some people think it is, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I mean, you touch on so many things and I think that um, you touch on, you have like a little dictionary, you like the acronym dictionary you have you touch on I feel like nearly every little aspect in your Instagram so you have it in your stories you've definitely posted about all the things I think it's a great resource for people um are you going you said you were making a binder you did for your class of um are you going to be you'll be using that obviously because it's fully functional and up to date and all this good stuff um yeah no I it's it's a crazy thing because you only hear about bad stories, which doesn't yeah. make sense. Like, I mean, I guess, you know, the news, if you want to hear the latest killing or murder or anything bad, turn on the news. Like you never hear anything good on the news. So. Yeah. I think that's the other thing too, is like, you know, obviously these crazy surrogacy stories that went haywire and like, you know, obviously that makes news because it's, you know, it's news and it's exciting and it's yeah. like, Oh my God. But then I think it like discounts the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of successful surrogacies that all happened at the same time that nothing's being reported on. You know what I mean? And I think it's been really good. Like, cause like I've done a lot of podcasts, I've done interviews with CBC and, um, uh, like with the radio stations here and stuff like that. And, um, I think it's just really good to show the positive side of this too, because it's not surrogacy shouldn't just be the news button when it goes wrong. Mm -hmm. It should be 
something that's that's normalized and kind of that the positives are seen too and that these are viable options to grow your family and that normal regular people do this every day and they're doing it every day and and it's it's that's just part of life and surrogacy shouldn't just be in the news when some crazy surrogate with that didn't have a contract took the baby right well and that's like, i guess you know what we're <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and that's, I guess, you know, the more that you're talking about it, we're slowly step-by-step step getting there. I think so. Yeah. Um, with, um, I was going to ask about, um, there I am scatterbrained. Again. <laughs> Shocker. Um, with your, when you basically, oh, so one, I think that it goes back to you having experienced this. You're going through it. You already have your family. So you know, and you can make a recommendation according to you've lived through it. Where people that set these guidelines, who knows who wrote these guidelines or, you know, made these laws. And it could be these men, again, who don't know and they haven't been through it and they haven't had a baby. So they don't know how it works or, you know, that these things do create um, to have a hysterectomy or to be sterile or any of these things. Um, but the other thing I was going to ask you is, um, when you use your social media, how mm -hmm. do you, I mean, I think that you're very patient because you see the good in people. So you think, oh, well, they just don't know where I'm mm -hmm. like, get off my page, asshole, um, yeah, block yeah. sometimes. But when, how do you like just deal with it? Like, I mean, yeah. cordially responding, but it's like, you know, getting so many comments, messages, crazy people. And it's like, you know, yes, we talked about this briefly, but one, you're putting yourself out there to be attacked. So we know that going into it, but at the same time, you know, surrogacy, it's not, it's not just this lewd, disgusting thing. It's, there's a procedure, there's steps and, yep. you know, there's. Yeah. Well, that's so, so, okay. So two parts of that. So this is why I think like really being open is so important. So I recorded my embryo transfer. Um, and if anybody goes to look on my feed and scrolls down in the bottom, I actually recorded the embryo transfer. I took my camera. I asked permission, of course, took my camera into the transfer room, like the operating room and like film the screen. You can see they put a, a speculum in, they put a catheter in, they, they're like, okay, this embryo, this, this case, Ariel Taylor, they double check all the dates and they insert it. And I showed the ultrasound screen of them physically putting the embryo and it looks like a little shooting star when it goes in and you can see it. It's a little light in, in my uterus and I recorded it and I was like, well, you all just watched me get pregnant. So <laughs> if that isn't, I don't know what is, <laughs> but like, these are the things, right? And so many people were like, I had no idea. That's how IVF works. And I feel like that old like TV where it's like, now, you know, like, that's all, like, that's what I, I think. I'm like, how does no one know? like, you know, but I think, but it's because no one shares that kind of stuff. And, you know, I think it's, it's good to show that. So people are like, oh, that's what IVF's like. People, people ask me all the time, does it hurt? And I was like, well, no, I took you in there. It was about 30 seconds long and, you know, it was super exciting and this is what the room looks like and this is how it works and um you know I think it's good to show that kind of stuff so that's part of like being open is I'm, I'm very open with stuff like that and like I think 
I can kind of like show that perspective without having, because for someone who's going through it for themselves, I think there's a lot of like trauma that goes like, like we talked about. Right. And a lot of feelings that brings up, but for me as a surrogate, for me, it's a pure educational base, right? Mm -hmm. I don't have an attachment necessarily or any negative feelings towards all this stuff. Right. It's just, for me, it's like pure educational base. Right. So, um, it's kind of like a different perspective. And then, so what we were saying about like dealing with people, I, I kind of, no, I would say 95% of everything that I get messages, comments, and stuff like that is positive. Um, I would say like, you know, if people don't like surrogacy, they don't follow me. Yeah. Simple. <laughs> uh, you know, every once in a while I get like some random like person make some comment, but it's like usually some like fake account with two, two posts and zero followers. So I'm like, well, I'm not overly concerned about your opinion. Um, you know, I think the way I try to approach it is always from an educational base. And I always think even if this person is just kind of being like a jerk or something like that, and they're really just trying to stir the pot, like it's not my job to change their mind. It's my job to show, and it's okay if they disagree. I'm not asking everybody to agree with surrogacy. I'm not asking everybody to think it's right because some people just purely don't. And you know what? You're entitled to your opinion. But I also think like, I'm, I, I'm a professional and I want to be a counselor and I don't want anybody to ever look at my feed and my responses and be like, wow, she was really rude. You know, yeah. like I, I always try really hard to educate and be, you know, open and responsive and, you know, Hey, you don't have to agree with surrogacy. It's totally fine. Um, you know, we don't, we don't have to say rude things because, and the other thing too is always think, you know, and I've said this to somebody on a comment before, being, someone being like, oh my God, surrogacy is so disgusting, blah, blah, blah. Or like, you know, <laughs> the person that, that said that my journey wasn't a real journey because the baby died. And I'm like, gosh, how would that intended mom feel to read that? Yeah. That, oh, my baby didn't count because it died. And I always think like, you know, you have no idea. I always urge people to, you know, you have no idea what family members can see you right, what your peers, what your employers or employees or coworkers and things like that. And chances are at least one of them is dealing with this. And how hurt would they be if they read some comment that you wrote about how, oh my gosh, well maybe if God didn't want you to have a baby, like, or maybe if God wanted you to have a baby, he would have given you one. Like, like how hurtful is that to, you know what, that's your opinion. And if that's it, I'm not going to sit here and try to change your mind, yeah. but keep in mind that there are people you care about that are probably going through this. And I just think it's important to kind of like come at this, mm -hmm. at least from my perspective, with a little bit of grace and a little bit of compassion and a little bit of empathy and just kind of, you know, I educate the best I can. If there's really, really silly comments, I just delete them. <laughs> Because I'm like, no, there's certain things that just aren't going to be on here. Um, you know, but as it's part of having, being able to have the platform, right? Like I am in control of what's on here. Totally. Um, and I just think it's, I want it to be a positive space and I want it to be a place where people can feel comfortable following and sharing and, and becoming educated mm -hmm. without having people like attack them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, so last two questions. One is about education. And then the other one is, and I know you've addressed this, but quickly people say, well, why don't you just adopt? And you have a very good response to this because you do. Yes. I did a post recently about, um, about this, about why intended parents, like always get the question, well, why don't you just adopt? 
every time a sur- like a surrogate, why did they just adopt? There's so many babies in the world that need homes. Okay, first of all, there actually is not, and I can speak for Canadian kind of foster care, et cetera, that there is a big focus on not removing kids from homes, and they've really tried to not, because they, they've seen the long-term effects of just removing kids from homes. CAS, which is your version of like CPS, is that what it's called? Yeah, Sorry, the protective, yeah. Or the, or the CAS. And And I think it's like, there's a big focus on now parenting and going in and helping families and building resources and connecting them with their communities. And in rare cases where a child is in danger and needs to be removed from the home or put in foster care, Typically, they like to put them with kinship matches first, mm-hmm. so family members, friends, people that they know, keeping them in their communities, that's first priority, and then foster care is kind of secondary. But the goal of foster care in most cases is to have a supplementary home while they can work with the parents, parenting skills, workshops. In some cases, mm-hmm. they're going to treatment centers or jail or you know things like that. That happens too. But the goal is always to keep families together. And so even if you have a child in foster care, they, they likely are not up for adoption unless both parents die and there's no kinship match and there's no grandparents and no aunts and uncles. And like there's really not as many children up for adoption as people think they're up for adoption just because there's a lot of kids in foster care. So not to mention that like the foster care system isn't you can foster to adopt that that definitely is a thing and the problem is though is that a lot of people want to adopt babies there's not a lot of babies to adopt and the other thing too is it's not guaranteed you're not guaranteed to get a baby i personally know somebody who went through the adoption process took their baby home named the baby like and then the birth mom changed her mind like 28 days later because they have the 30 days to change their mind wow So, you know, surrogacy, not only in most cases, it's their biological child. Mm -hmm. They just need someone else to carry it. And it's a guarantee. I have no rights to that baby, even though I carried it. Canada recognizes surrogacy. Most states recognize surrogacy in that way. I, I am not the mother. I don't go on the birth certificate, nothing like that, right? So it's a guarantee. And the other thing is adoption is expensive. Very and in some cases it can be just as expensive as surrogacy and for a lot of people that have already gone through infertility they probably already had a lot of those costs associated with their fertility clinic they probably already made embryos which is a big cost right so in order to kind of get this it's not really that much more than being like okay now we're going to switch gears and try to adopt yeah there are people that try to adopt for years and it doesn't work and then then they turn to surrogacy because it didn't work and a second part of that is I my like biggest thing is like it is not the infertility community's job to adopt all the unwanted babies in the world it's true and like it boggles my mind you go on like things where there's all these like you know keyboard warriors being like oh my gosh why didn't they just adopt and then you like click on their profile and it's someone who has like seven kids and you're like well I'm assuming you adopted all of those didn't you (laughs) Why, why do you have any more of a right to have biological children than somebody else just because they need a doctor to help them yeah. or a surrogate to help them or medication to help them? You know what I mean? So I, I recently did a whole post about this and like it got shared so many times because people were like, yes, like no one is the babies. Do I think adoption is wonderful? Absolutely. Do I think that it works so well for some people? 
absolutely. And I think it's incredible, but it's not for everybody. And it shouldn't be the go-to option just because you can't have kids. Yes. I, I love that I can ask you pretty much anything and you have a very, very solid answer. Um, and then the other question that I had is about education with, um, and I don't even, I, this isn't even a question. It's more of just adding on to it because there is, there isn't, there aren't so many studies. There aren't so many statistics when it comes to, and I'm assuming it's exactly what you're saying with the pregnancies and this, but like being pregnant and just no, obviously I get that no one wants to be a, you know, a test, a test rat or whatever the heck they're called when you're pregnant, but there are studies need to be had and taken. And like, I'm very curious about, um, health and wellness and like fitness during pregnancy and this type of stuff. So, and obviously nutrition and all this, but obviously very few women are interested in participating in that. And it's exactly what you were saying before about you having to really dig deep and just you yeah. know kind of scrounge for any sort of numbers or anything because, you know, we've been having babies for thousands and thousands of years, yet there's no very few statistics or studies or research or anything done. And it's like, I, I don't understand why. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it's tough too, because pregnancy, it's like the ethical concerns of studies done while pregnant, especially if there are risk involved. Like that's like the big thing is an ethical thing. Something that like I would be really interested in seeing. And I think that a lot of people are really interested in seeing is, um, outcomes of surrogacy and egg and donor conceived children. So I did a, uh, I did a big project last year actually about donor conceived children. I, I took a family therapy course. And so, um, I kind of direct everything into some sort of fertility. Of so I'm good at writing about it. So if I can write 15 pages and a research study about this, I'm like all over it. <laughs> so, and the problem was, is that like, so much of the research, some of the most recent research we have about egg donor conceived children is like from 2006. And those were, yeah, like that was some of the most recent. And the problem was, is that when all those children were conceived, because these were all now adult children or teenage children or people old enough, they they had really bad outcomes. And I'm like, what is happening? Well, then what I realized is when you're going through the research and you're looking, the reason that they had so many bad outcomes was is because these kids were never told that they were donor children until they were adults. And they found out at 18 or 19 or 20, or sometimes even longer that they were, an, they were from an egg donor. And so when you separate the studies that of kids that knew they were from donors and then ones that didn't, the ones that knew they were from donors had much higher outcomes. So it's, it's focused studies. And I have yet to really find many studies at all about surrogacy, um, children and, you know, and a few that we do again, it's like kids finding out that they, they weren't, like that they were born via surrogacy, but like years and years and years later, I think when you normalize it, it becomes normal. Right. right. And like, if, if it's, you know, like, um, like the kids that I've given birth to know that I gave birth to them and it's just like, yeah, like, like mommy couldn't, mommy couldn't grow you in her uterus. Or in the case of my last surrogate baby, he has two dads. Well, neither of us have a uterus, so we couldn't grow you like, you know, <laughs> and it's, when you normalize it, it becomes normal. 
You know what right. I mean? So I think a lot of the negative outcomes come from the secrecy and the taboo of it and mm -hmm. kind of like the shame that comes along with that. But if you take that all away, then there's far less negative outcomes. You know what I mean? Well, and it's like, it's you're, not you're, that complex. Like my uterus, I couldn't, I couldn't carry you. Like it's, it doesn't. And when you say it so simply, it's like, why is that so difficult for people to say? Or yeah. Adults put so much emotion behind it, right? And put so many meanings behind everything and like all this stuff. If you tell a kid, like my my daughter, when she was she was like two and a half or three when I was pregnant with um my last surrogate baby, which had two dads. And I have a video of her also on my Instagram if everyone anyone wants to like scroll down and look at it. But she's holding up the test and I was like, Scarlet, like like, what does that mean? And she goes, there's a baby in your belly. And I was like, who's? She's like, Mark and Kevin's because they're dads and they can't grow it. So you can do it. <laughs> Spot on, girlfriend. Like, like that's like, right. <laughs> it's just, it really is that simple. But I think adults put on so much like emotion behind it and so much meaning behind everything. And like, it, it really just, it's simply like, they can't carry it on their own. They just need an extra person to kind of help bring their baby here. Yeah. And so it's just going to grow in my body for nine months and then you get your baby back. Yeah. Like, I think that when it's that simple, it's just that simple. Yeah. Um, okay. We, I want to keep talking because I obviously, so we're going to have to do a part three, even though this is only part one, even though it's <laughs> technically part two, that's confusing for people, but whatever. Um, thank you for your time. Yeah, of course. I enjoyed this so much. Um, and I hope you are over your migraines and you keep feeling well. And I'm going to be following you. Do you have anything else you want to share? I'll definitely include your handle here so people can, um, you know, go check out your Instagram page because there are so many interesting things and um, all sorts of everything's there basically having to do with this. Uh, anything else you want to share? Right now, I'm just using Instagram. I also do, I share everything to Facebook as well um, under the same handle. So just carried with love or carry dot with dot love. Um, but everything from Instagram kind of just gets transcribed over to Facebook. So Instagram's a place to kind of see, see everything. Amazing. Amazing. Cool. Well, have a good weekend and um, I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Hopefully I'll see what's going on on your page. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing.